Micah chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be raised up above the hills. Peoples shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're trying a new mic today, so please let us know in the comments if this is working better. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Creator God, the message that you have brought this week is being delivered imperfectly. I pray that you can use it anyways. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Amen. This week, we will continue to look at our faith through the eyes of a beginner. And I want to look today at doubt and faith. For much of my life, I believe that these things were polar opposites. Life has a funny way of breaking those dichotomies down into pieces, doesn't it? This breakdown began about 15 years ago. It began on the day that my grandmother died. On that day, I remember my mother coming home from the hospital and sitting on the couch with me as I was watching a movie that I can't watch anymore. She told me that grandma had organ failure and she wouldn't last much longer. And I put my head in her lap and I cried. And I began a prayer that I never finished. You see, I wanted to pray for my grandmother's health, that she might get better, that she would be whole and happy and alive and with us again. But as I began to pray, I realized that I had no idea if that was what my grandmother actually wanted or if that's what God wanted. I remember the stories of prayer resurrecting the dead and healing the sick, and now they were swirling around in my head as I tried to muster the courage to pray. And I began to piece together the fact that I saw God as very capable. But maybe 
arbitrary. Arbitrary enough not to listen, or worse, not to care. There was another voice in the mix that asked for perfect trust and perfect faith, and my whole life had been aimed at this understanding that my belief, our belief, could make things happen, that my belief could change the universe because our God had an ordered and understood way of working. The flip side of that belief, the side of the coin that turns that thought of beautiful faith into something toxic, is that in order for our faith to work, to do the spectacular and wonderful things, it seems like it had to be perfect. Now, I don't think I ever heard this said outrightly in churches, but I saw it lived and insinuated into every conversation. You just have to have a little more faith. Oh, but if you rely on everlasting love forever, you will have no issues. Your life will be perceived as perfect because you have faith. As I considered that with my head in my mother's lap, it seemed like my worth and my value in the relationship that I had with God was tied up in my ability to look life in the eye and not blink when it got hard, when I was sad, when I had questions. And if you managed to not blink, to hold your faith, that God would pick up the phone when you called. So there, I witnessed a train wreck, a head-on collision between my understanding of what I thought I was supposed to do, I was supposed to pray, I was supposed to believe, and the reality of sickness and death and loss. Praying, let thy will be done, seemed like a betrayal of someone I loved. But praying for anything else felt like a waste. Why would I pray if it didn't matter because the world was going to move on and I wasn't perfect enough to change it? I had heard that God is organized, ruled out on paper, systematic. But I began to think that maybe my 14-year-old self began to think that maybe that was a human construction, trying to put logic and laws and reason and math around God. That we would try to study God like a science or maybe more like a philosophy. But we are slowly but surely trying to apply a logical underpinning to an unknowable being. All we have of God are our own experiences which sometimes defy whatever we're told to expect, and then second-hand accounts strung together and each so individual that there's no real means of standardization. The rules that I thought applied upon further inspection didn't seem to exist. And personally, now, I think this attempt at order and putting borders around God is a waste of time. As I read the stories of the Bible where God exists and lives and the experiences of people like Thomas throughout time, 
The more logic I try to apply to those situations, the less sense I see. If faith were really all that were required, I think Jesus would have covered up. But for Thomas, all was laid bare. God seems to be an emotional being of chaos and joy, creative energy, thoroughly outside the bounds of classification, one that loves wholly but moves in ways that I cannot understand. In that moment, in my 14-year-old mind, I realized that my prayer to save my grandmother was not. It was not a prayer of faith. It was a prayer that sought to control. Control a universe that would move on with or without me or my grandmother. I wanted to control this outcome to make me happy, make my family happy, to keep someone I loved alive. And I think, looking back on this, the desire isn't bad. Those desires are a part of being human. But with my head in my mother's lap, my prayers stopped short. What was there to pray for? Prayer had been a comfort all my life, but in that moment, prayer did not feel like a comfort. It felt like a burden. Like the burden of carrying on a conversation with someone who has nothing to say. I doubted that my words would have any meaning, that anything would change, that I would somehow change. So I stopped praying. Not forever just for a while because I didn't know what to pray for. Now, a few years ago, we got in a car accident in the mountains. We hit a patch of black ice and hit a guardrail on a mountain road, and thanks goodness that Jordan drives at a professional level because if we hadn't, if he hadn't been driving, we could have been over the side of a mountain. Thanks, dear. I'm going to say thank you to that every day. Miraculously, we were all mostly fine. A little bumped, a little bruised, but my mom and my dad and Addie and Jordan and I came away just a little sore and kind of whiplashed. The car was totaled, and we were able to get the car home by the skin of its teeth. And on the entire drive home, I prayed I prayed for safety, I prayed for health, for guidance on what to do next. I prayed for peace in my heart that wouldn't stop beating too fast. And I prayed, and I prayed the whole way home, and I don't think I slept without dreaming of it for months. Dreaming of mountains and guardrails. I still don't like driving in the mountains very much. After the accident, I tried to pick up a different spiritual practice, something that would root me and give me something to hold on to when all aspects of my life seemed to be spinning out of my control. I picked up this devotional that I had in my bathroom for some reason. Don't ask me why. It lived there. And I decided to give it a real chance. I would have brought it today, but I, I didn't actually end up giving it a real chance. It ended up in Goodwill, but I'll complete that story a little later. <laughs> Hi, June. I tried to pick up this devotional. 
And I don't remember the details. I don't remember what it said exactly, but it focused on our scripture today that I had just read about holding every thought captive about how the world corrupts our good Christian sensibilities and our faith calls us to perfect alignment of thought. While I question anyone who uses the term good Christian sensibilities because, well, the Crusades were thought to be good and sensible and Christian and they weren't, I needed something to lean on, so I compromised a little bit. And in searching for my answers, I began to pray again, to seek out that perfect alignment. I was searching for an answer, praying for answers that I knew wouldn't come. What do I do with this fear that lives in my heart, this fear that leads me to doubt, to question, to be more afraid? How do I handle what wakes me up in the middle of the night? How do I deal with what doesn't let me sleep? There was a piece of me that saw that scripture and loved it. I loved the idea of control. I would love to compartmentalize every aspect of my life of discomfort, of fear, of doubt in my head and put it aside to focus on better things. So I focused my actions on controlling my thoughts and my actions and controlling my emotions, and I had it all under control. Nine months later, I cleaned my house. I took everything I owned in my hands, and I asked myself that one singular annoying question, does this bring me joy? No offense, Marie Kondo. I love your method, but I think I hated the word joy for about a year. I did this over Thanksgiving break, right after finals, and I decided to tackle this house cleaning project in the span of a week. Every single day, project after project, finally collapsing into bed every night after about 16 hours of just cleaning. And when I finished, in a flurry of cleanliness and trips to Goodwill, I took a look around at my apartment and I asked myself, why? Why did I give away that devotional? I still don't know. What am I going to do with my time now that I am not fully immersed in a project for 16 hours a day during Thanksgiving break? Or before that, it was finals. And before that, it was classes and work. Why did I do this thing? Yes, it was good to clean. It was good to organize. But why did I attack this project like it was the key to me breathing? Why did I feel like if I didn't finish this project in the timeline that I wanted, that I would go careening right over the side of a mountain again? And now that I was without a project, how do I keep it all under control? And staring around my now fairly empty house, I prayed again. I prayed and I faced the voices of not good enough, of not enough faith, of what's the point. And as much as those voices inspired me to give up and find something else to do with my time, there was this niggling thought at the back of my mind that said, I needed this. That this prayer 
needed to happen, and I had no expectation of what I would find there aside from that I would be stopped just for a moment. So I sat. I sat and I waited and I found that the God that I feared, the God that I doubted, was still there. This time when I prayed to God, I found a God that I knew was unlimited and wild and worked in ways that I didn't understand and maybe sometimes didn't think much of. There, on the edge of a stress-induced breakdown, I found that the very thoughts that had placed doubt in my heart gave me comfort and reassured me. They reassured me of God's presence, even though I couldn't see it, didn't know it was there. It was. Even though I couldn't say what the outcome would be, I knew that God would be there. A God with no limits can certainly help me when I'm well past my own. A God that is beyond explanation can love us without exception. Why not? According to Richard Rohr, a beloved Franciscan friar, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. You must leave the garden where the angels with flaming swords to keep you from ever really returning. You must leave the womb to be born. Seeking control in many aspects of our life makes sense. (laughs) Oh no, June doesn't like control very much. But I think we need to have control, good control, like when we're driving a car. We need to have good control over the vehicle. Or when we stumble across a dessert bar. It's good to have control over our impulses then. But control over our doubts and our fears does not lead to faith. (laughs) It leads to despondency. When it comes to our faith, we will have to look the ugly, the disheartening, the cruel, the sad directly in the eye because that's life. Faith does not exist in a vacuum. Life will cause us to doubt. Maybe we will doubt the miracles, the things that defy our logic, or maybe we will question the fairness of it all, the cruelty of it all, the despair that seems to be everywhere. Or maybe we'll question our worthiness and doubt who we are in the eyes of God. No matter what it is, it has something for us, that doubt. I can't say in good conscience that everything serves a purpose or ultimately works for good. I have my own questions there. But I can say with some confidence that your doubts and your fears do serve a purpose. On an evolutionary or an on an evolutionary note, (laughs) I can talk. Our fear is important. It tells us to run when we should run. It tells us to hide when we should hide. Fear serves a purpose, a God-given purpose in our lives. And doubt does, too. God can certainly use your doubt for something. Our scripture today encourages us to mind our mind. Consider the ways that our mind can lead us astray. But 
Maybe. Maybe doubt and fear and questioning are not the mind wandering from God, but rather wandering towards God. Another one of my favorite quotes, and another St. Augustine, is the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose and it will defend itself. And I love that image, that the truth is strong enough for you. I believe that we have been granted by God a mind to use and to question. And our questions have a way of finding a home with God even when the answers aren't there. Maybe holding our thoughts captive looks more like taking a good long look at what is niggling in our hearts and minds. Holding it in the light so we can take a really good look at it. We have to use our God-given curiosity, our faith like a child that causes us to wonder and wander. So this week, my prayer for you is that you take another look and another and another. Stare deeply into what causes you doubt, what causes fear to tremble in your heart. God has told us that the tools of war shall be transformed into tools of creation. Swords and spears shall be used and turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. When you look at your doubt and your fear, I pray that you see the tools that God has given you to transform yourself. I pray that you pick them up and look at them. And one day, I hope that you use them. Amen.